Hello, welcome to Behind the Music podcast. I'm Bridget Devon, your host. Today, I'm very excited to welcome Vincent James with Keep Music Alive. Vincent is founder and president, and they are located in Brookhaven, Pennsylvania. Keep Music Alive is a nonprofit on a mission to help more children and adults reap the educational, therapeutic, and social benefits of playing music. They accomplish this by offering two national programs, which one is Teach Music Week, the other is Kids Music Day, and they also offer a program within the Philadelphia region called Musical Instrument Petting Zoo, and we're excited to learn more about that in just a minute. But James, welcome, and thank you for joining me. Oh, thank you so much, Bridget, for having me on the show. I'm, I'm excited to be here. My pleasure. Um, so to start, can you share with us a little bit about yourself and how Keep Music Alive got started? Sure, absolutely. So... I'm a lifelong musician and songwriter, uh, but that was always kind of my part-time on the side passion. I was an engineer uh, for my full-time profession. Uh, but one day I was listening to a podcast about how everyone has a book inside them that they need to write. And while I never thought I would ever write a book because I didn't consider myself an expert in anything, uh, I had the inspiration at that moment to what about a book of inspirational music stories of how music impacted and changed people's lives. And from that was born the 88 Ways Music Can Change Your Life book series. And that kind of started the ball rolling towards our music education advocacy slant of my life. Uh, soon after that, uh, the seed of Keep Music Alive was starting to uh, gel. And I thought that every year there should be a week where musicians everywhere should offer a free lesson to new students, uh, lesson or class, just trying to get them started. And that was born into Teach Music Week, which is now the third week in March. We're celebrating the ninth annual this year in 2023. And then uh, a year later, we met a gal who was doing something called Kids Yoga Day. And we thought, well, Kids Yoga Day, what about Kids Music Day, right? So we looked and we realized there wasn't such a holiday. So we created that and we're now partnering with over a thousand music schools and stores in over a dozen countries to help us celebrate both Teach Music Week in March and Kids Music Day in October. And then about a year before the pandemic started, we decided we really wanted to do some ongoing programming year round here in the Philadelphia area where we reside. And that's where the Musical Instrument Petting Zoo program began, which has been a whole lot of fun. That's awesome. Can you tell me a little bit more about um, the Musical Instrument Petting Zoo? So, you know, we got, you know, I'd love to say that we invented the idea, but we didn't. You know, mm -hmm. we saw other organizations out throughout the country holding something similar to what we do, where, you know, you bring different instruments to a setting where kids are at and trying to get them, you know, involved, put their hands on the instrument, let them try to make the sounds on the instrument and get them excited about wanting to play. So what we do is we bring guitars, electric and acoustic, uh, ukuleles, keyboards, and dozens of different types of percussion instruments. We go into schools, libraries, community festivals. We also partner with other nonprofits to bring what we do to the families that they serve. And really just to serve our mission, we're just trying to get them excited, the kids excited about wanting to play music. And when you see their eyes light up, and big smiles, mm -hmm. you know, you know, we're having an impact and effect on them and getting many of them wanting to start playing an instrument. Absolutely. So this um, this actually reminds me of when I was in elementary school <laughs> and um, I was in uh, our band class and there was a day where you got to have like a hands on with all the different instruments. And so I remember picking up a trumpet and getting to <laughs> play it. And right. then um, then I ended up joining band and I was in band playing trumpet, I think, from like fifth grade through eighth grade. And that was the end of it. But I mean, it was, you know, 
you know, that's a meaningful experience. So I can absolutely see how having a musical instrument petting zoo could have a really big positive impact and really get kids to, you know, ask their parents, Hey, can I take lessons, you know? And, right. and that's exciting because right. it's when you have music in your life and you're learning and playing, it just, it's just a great, it's a great thing. Yes. Yes. I mean, there's, there's obviously the academic research, you know, about how music benefits the brain for children, you know, growing up. And then there's all the other little, you know, aspects, you know, the discipline, this perseverance uh, that you learn when you're playing an instrument, because it doesn't come easy necessarily starting off. And then you keep working at it and you get better. It builds your self-confidence. You also build out your social circle when you were playing in band in those middle school years from yeah. fifth grade on. You know, I'm sure you made a lot of friends during that time that continued yeah. throughout your schooling years there. Yeah, absolutely. And so I en it ended up evolving into joining choirs in high school. So it was like concert choir, chamber choir, jazz choir. <laughs> and that, and now I, I, I'm not sure if I share this, but I, I do sing um, with two live bands. And, um, you know, singing is such an important, you know, meaningful thing for me in my life. And so, you know, that first experience with the trumpet, you know, could have that, that, you Planted know, that's the part for you. Yeah, kind of seed for you, and yeah. you know, our voice is the very first instrument that we're all literally born with. Yes, and it doesn't matter how you know how well we sing. You know, if we can open our mouths and make a sound, you know, we always encourage people to join a choir, join a yeah. community chorus. When you're in the midst of a group of people and you're singing, you know, whether it's on a, in a band or just in a choral environment, it's just such a powerful experience, the energy you feel, and the joy that you get out of it. I couldn't agree more, and I to I totally believe that everyone has the ability and the right to sing you know sometimes people yes. are like oh I can't sing and I'm like no 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 no. yes you can <laughs> yes you can and I always want people to know you are welcome to sing around me it makes my heart just like so full when I hear people sing um I love this so um can you share with us a little bit about what it's like operating in the nonprofit music space kind of what the day-to-day -day operations are like Sure, sure. And now for, we're a very small organization. It's literally just the two of us running the organization and we have a small board. And so we wear a lot of different hats. And, you know, when we first started the organization, it was kind of like very loose informal. Uh, and at one point we realized that we needed, we really needed to be a 501c3 nonprofit to best serve the mission. So then we had to go through the process of applying to become a 501c3. And I have to tell you, originally that was quite a hurdle because you know yep. we tried various avenues talking to different people and for a year and a half uh, about a year we weren't really getting anywhere and then finally you know just reaching out and asking questions from other nonprofits well how did you do it and we found a company in Florida who very easily helped us figure out how to put the round peg in the round hole and the square peg in the square hole so that we would have an application that would get easily approved awesome. so that was like the first big hurdle and then after that you quickly learn all right now you need to learn about development and development is basically a code word for fundraising for your mission uh, because without you know funds coming in you're not really able to operate in the way that you'd like to mm. so there's a lot of fundraising activities that we do and then there's learning how to put together our programs in a way that most impacts the population that we're working with and then what we're learning now in the nonprofit space is you have to have mechanisms to measure the impact of your program because oh. the funders sources that are funding what you're doing they want to see how you're you know directly through metrics how you're impacting the population that you're serving so we're in the middle of figuring out program evaluation and different ways that we can quantify 
uh, what we're doing uh, to help support the funders that are helping us. Wonderful. You know, this is really interesting uh, to hear kind of the behind the scenes of running a nonprofit organization. I'd love to hear more about like what the experience is like with fundraising and how, you know, how you guys uh, go about that. Uh, well, for any you know, new development group, which is what we are, you know, doing fundraising, it's always a challenge. Uh, we do a lot of uh, fun Facebook fundraisers where we put something on social media and Facebook is a very interesting and great actually mechanism where they don't keep any of the money. 100% of the money that you raise on Facebook goes directly to the 501c3. You know, once you get qualified to be part of that program. Uh, we also have gotten a good number of experience in writing grants. Uh, we've written a lot, a lot of little, a lot of local grants, and I probably have about a 33% success rate, which I feel is pretty good, yeah. considering I'm just starting out. And we, you know, our programs are still developing, and we're learning how to measure the impact. So there's grant writing. Uh, there's also looking for corporate support. Uh, we're trying to identify with local companies, regional and even national, for the national programs we have that are a family-friendly brands that might be interested in partnering with us uh, on that vein we're still working on figuring out how to how to do that and, and yeah, make it work definitely um can you to pivot can you share with us a little bit about um you know you you have your in march is going to be uh the the week yeah, uh, is ninth that right? annual, yeah the ninth annual teach music week yeah can you share with us about how you guys are revving up for that and and what that work looks like Sure, sure. And it's a lot of manual work because the way we get so many schools and stores, music stores to participate is we send out individual emails to over 5,000 music schools and stores in over a dozen countries, inviting them to participate. And, and we do two rounds of those emails. So we're literally talking about 10,000 emails that are going out. And we're not able to, due to the spam laws, we're not able to just stick everyone on a newsletter and just send it out yep. uh, because that would shut us down pretty quickly and it's not mm -hmm. right. Uh, so, you know, we literally do the individual emails and we used to all do them ourselves, but we last couple of years, we pay volunteer stipend, a stipend to help us offload the carpal tunnel that we were getting. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so we're in the process of currently inviting uh, music schools and stores to participate in this year's Teach Music Week. Uh, I think we just finished our first round of emails uh, and then we're getting ready to start a second round in the middle of February leading up to the third week in March, which is when the celebration is. Cool. So you have, so when this celebration starts, it's happening at a lot of different places. That's so right. Anyone in the country can go to the website, teachmusicweek.org, stick in your, enter your zip code or your city state and up will pop locations around your, your area that are participating by offering a free lesson or class. And then you can contact them directly to, to schedule it. Oh, that's amazing. That must be so exciting to, as the week progresses, to hear the stories and experiences that do people share on social media or do you kind of see, uh, you know, um, any updates like that as the week goes on? Yeah, we're definitely seeing more and more of that as, 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 as each progressive year uh, goes on. Uh, in particular, last year, which is the eighth annual Teach Music Week, we got a lot of messages from people from all over the country uh, looking for locations that are participating that maybe they didn't find them on the website. And then we'll go out and try to connect with stores and schools that are right in their zip code to see if we can make the connections. We're really just trying to be a connector. It's just, yeah. There's people that are interested in having their child or themselves and starting to learn an instrument or learn a new instrument 
and they're not really sure where to go. We want to be the folks that they can come to and say, hey, tell us what you're looking for. If you have a special situation, maybe you have a child on the spectrum or whatever it might be. And we'll try to make the connections, bring them together with uh, and a provider that can help them out in the best way. Oh, that's amazing. Because I know that can be a real struggle, you know, uh introducing your child to kind of a formal lesson too. Um, And sometimes you just don't know where to start. So it sounds like you guys can be a real um, resource for parents or anyone looking for um, lessons. Yes, yes. And even year round when it's not Teach Music Week or Kids Music Day, you can go in and put your zip code in and those listings are there year round. And the thing to keep in mind for parents is you need to bring your child to start lessons with a particular music school or, or music teacher. You know, there may not be a good fit for some reason. You know, it's just not clicking very well. This your child and the, and the teacher. Don't be afraid to, you know, switch it up and try a different school, a different teacher, until you find a place where you're having a really good connection and the child you can see is really getting a lot out of it. Awesome, I love that. Um, so with my podcast, I really want to show people all the different ways that they can. Um, be a part of the music industry. So that could be, you know, for me, I have more experience in like live performance, but I Mm want to show that there's just so much. So um, I'm excited to share with people who are interested in the nonprofit side, like you are. And um, if you were to start your organization again, or if someone were to come to you that wanted to start a nonprofit in music space, how would you either go about it or what would be your best advice to someone? Uh, If I were to do it over again or to advise somebody at the beginning is to find a couple mentors in the space, you know, reach out to several different music education nonprofits to their uh, executive director or their founders if it's a small organization and see if we can have coffee or lunch with them and just ask them about their experience, how they got started, you know, the the pros, the cons, uh, things to look out for. And you'll find that people in this space in general, you know, are very willing to sit and talk with you and just give you some ideas of how how to help. I know we would, you know, because we went through a lot. And when people write to me, I always try to provide them ideas, suggestions based on what we've learned. That's amazing. Um, Well, as we come to the end, can you share with us where where do you see Keep Music Alive? What's the vision for the next year, five years, 10 years? Well, that's a ways down the road, Bridget, 10 years. Wow. (laughs) You never know where people's visions, right? Right, right. I I can tell you, you know, it's my personal vision for Keep Music Alive is that Teach Music Week and Kids Music Day continue to grow, that we're ultimately, eventually, there's 5,000 music schools worldwide helping to celebrate, serving tens of thousands of kids and adults every year with those programs. And then for our musical instrument petting zoos to continue to grow in our area, we did 40 events last year. We're looking to do 75 to 80 events this year. And we'd like to kind of help spread that model, what we do with instrument petting zoos around the country, maybe not directly associated with what, with Keep Music Alive, but in an informal way, helping to advise and helping other organizations do what we do just to bring more musical inspiration to, to more kids. Wonderful. I love it. Um, All right, Vincent. Well, before we go, can you share with us um, how people can stay connected with you or anything else you'd like for people to know about Keep Music Alive? Uh, Absolutely. And thank you for that. So the best way to find us is at our website, keepmusicalive.org. Also, if you type in Keep Music Alive in the search engine, stuff about us will pop up, you know, at the top. And we're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. And we're playing a little bit around with TikTok, but we're not exactly... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> having it totally figured out yet 
And just the way I think I would leave with everyone here is you're never too old or too young to, to learn to play an instrument. I had a guitar player once, guitar student, who didn't start learning to play until he was 80 years young. And we worked together for five years until the pandemic came. Uh, and he really got a lot of benefit out of it and still plays the guitar to this day. That's beautiful. Um, awesome. Well, I so appreciate your time and getting to learn more about Keep Music Alive. This has just been a wonderful conversation, and I just wish you and your organization all the best. Uh, thank you so much, Britta. I really appreciate your time and having me on the show. Behind the music. Love it. Behind the music. <laughs> all right. Thank you.